Welcome to the Grey Eye and Disability Arts online podcast, Disability And, bringing together thoughtful discussion and debate. This month, Grey Eye's Associate Director, Nikki Miles Wilden, chats with playwright and screenwriter Jack Fawn about his work and his relationship with Grey Eye Theatre. This podcast contains some strong language. Hello, I'm Nikki Marswarden. I'm Associate Director at Grey Eye Theatre Company. I am here in my little study in Manchester. I'm a white woman. I have brown eyes, wearing glasses. Uh, I have uh, shaved hair at the sides with a big white blondie, large lockdown fringe on top, wearing headphones, a quite cool black and gold Adidas top. Behind me is my bookshelf. <laughs> Jack likes what I'm wearing, obviously. Uh, I've got my bookshelf uh, with lots of uh, really interesting drama books and photos on top. And I am joined here on Zoom with the writer of Stage, Screen, Many a Guardian article and a very interesting Twitter feed. It's the marvellous Jack Thorne. How are you, Jack? Very good. Do I need to describe myself? Yeah, go on. Your turn now. Okay. Uh, I am a, a bold man... Uh, of 41 uh, I am uh, it, I've got brown hair barely I've got blue eyes and I'm wearing a blue pair of glasses I've got a black and blue top on and I'm sitting in my study that's got um, pictures on the wall behind me some of my one of my wife and some of my work including cast-offs uh, and then um, and then some aprons on my door that were made for me by my wife, uh, which have my theatre shows. She took pictures of the front of the Royal Court building and then um, and then made me an apron with the with the with the front of the Royal Court building on. So yeah, aprons is that because you do a lot of cooking and baking, or you like to write whilst you wear aprons? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea what prompted it. I definitely do more cooking than her. When she met me, she could only make cereal. So, uh, you know, th- there is that. But I think mainly it's just, I-, I-, I don't know what occurred to her, but I love the aprons. I love the aprons. I now have an image of you writing in just purely aprons. And now many people will as they watch or listen <laughs> to this podcast. How's lockdown and the time of the pandemic been for you, Jack? What have you... What have you been up to? So three things happened during lockdown of note. One is that I was able to keep writing. So that just carried on happening. The second is that I had to, my wife and I had to cope with the horrors of homeschool, um, which was tough. And uh, my four-year-old didn't struggle with the fact that he couldn't see his friends because he doesn't have any friends yet. Um, But he did he did struggle with the learning thing and there was definitely a struggle with the fact that we were kept indoors because that was not his natural inclination. And then the third thing was that I did um, Crits Without Constraints with you. Um, that was really um, a really beautiful process that really challenged me in quite interesting ways to be able to... Because I've always sort of avoided all that stuff because I get very shy 
and I've always sort of thought that that was okay that I could that I could justify the fact that I don't do anything because I'm you know talk to other writers and all that all that malarkey but um and it did take it out of me each time but I I loved it and and the writers were just such an extraordinary bunch and I I loved doing it with them and you thanks and I love doing it with you too and and I know for you offering them that those mentoring sessions they got a lot out of it having that opportunity to talk to hit you and hear about your expertise is just it's just wonderful awesome so, awesome thank well, you. yeah whatever you know what i mean like you know that's the yeah. Awesome, but yeah, yeah there yeah. we go we've patted each other's backs now that's that's, <laughs> that's cool we've done that and um, so i suppose like you're well known aren't you as a writer uh for stage screen from such things as skins and fades which why was there only one season of fades we were cancelled. Uh, they didn't want us anymore. Yeah, I yeah. Quite like yeah. fades. Um, and then to like more recently things like National Treasure, Cursed Child on stage. Um, so how, what was your journey into becoming the writer that you are now? Because not a lot of us know what it was. I uh, went to university um, to do a degree in politics, and I was sort of intent on either becoming a politician or an actor. And then I didn't become either because I wasn't very good at either. Um, and I decided I wanted to direct plays, um, but I couldn't afford the rights to plays because uh, they're quite expensive. Um, and so I um, I decided to write a play uh, to get around that. And uh, I fell in love. Uh, like it was one of those sort of things where you just sort of get hit by a train. As soon as I started doing it, I loved it. And uh, I kept doing it. Um, writing for lots of different things. Um, I had lots of interesting experiences as a young writer, you know, somewhere I, you know, um, got opportunities, somewhere I got rejected. I think we all get rejected quite a lot. Um, uh, a notable moment was the Grey Eye Open Day, actually. Um, and then, and then uh, eventually the Bush Theatre decided to put on one of my plays, uh, a play called um, When You Cure Me. And um, Jamie Britton uh, came and saw a reading of it and said, we're making a TV show. Um, uh, we think you might be interesting to be part of it. And then his co-creator, Brian Elsley, came and saw it once we were mounted and said, yeah, we definitely think you're, 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 you're the sort of writer we want for this. And that show was Skins. Um, and, uh, and then it all sort of just kind of went from there, you know, one thing after another, after another, after another. You know, there's been times that have been really bleak, but but I've been incredibly lucky that the, the momentum has kept on and and, 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 and it's been really nice. Um, so what, with being a writer on Skins, were you part of a team of writers or was that just individual writer? How did that work? Yeah, there was a team and then we all wrote individual episodes. So I wrote two episodes of series one, two episodes of series two, and then I wrote half an episode of series three, and then I left to do other things. So, um, yeah, and it was a, there was a writer's room where we met once a week, but it wasn't a writer's room like you have now where, you know, people spend 10 weeks together breaking down every episode. It wasn't something like that. It was much more, um, you know, let's meet, let's talk, let's see our stuff, let's talk about our stuff, and then let's write it individually. So uh, that progressing from skins on, it's really kind of, I suppose, springboarded you. Castoffs, did that come before or after skins? That came after. So I, I did, um, 
after I left Skins, um, uh, you know, there was a lot of stuff sort of bubbling around, a lot of possibilities of things. And then um, Channel 4 came to uh, uh, Joel Wilson and um, and who ran a, sh- a company called Eleven Film and said, would you be um, interested in, in working on something for our disability slate? Um, cast Offs was made for £100,000 an hour, which is very, very, very small in TV terms. It's a lot in theatre terms, though. That is a lot of money. That That's mega. Yes, but you don't... But there's it's expensive. Making TV is much more expensive, sadly, than making theatre. With theatre, you need a van and a space and an actor. With TV, you need so much stuff. Um, and so we were very limited in what we could do and how many locations we could be in and all those things, but we were also very determined and um, and there, there was some really, really brilliant producing from Joel and Jamie on the show in terms of making everything possible. Um, and, yeah, and we were... We were originally... Well, we were we were sort of... Channel 4 didn't quite know what to do with us um, and we were put out... Um, twice a week on uh, 11 o'clock um, but we got really good ratings um, and um, and we got nominated for the RTS award for best drama you know that it went really really well um, uh, the idea was to prove something about audiences for disability work but every time every time we there is disability work on TV it actually does really well in the ratings and yet it still is something that everyone's frightened of so it's just exasperating why why is that why is in tv that 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 work and i suppose in theater it's sometimes is attached to that r word the word of risk but why why is it still deemed as that if it is if it always does have these new rate that you know the highest ratings i mean it doesn't have the highest ratings no but has good ratings i don't know i think i think there's a lot of fear of the unknown when it comes to disability and there's a lot of a sense of people worrying about getting things wrong um and there's a lot of oh i don't quite know how to deal with this situation um that uh is really really problematic um and because there aren't i mean ruth madeley's on her way now i think but because there aren't established disabled stars that's also a problem problem too because shows are very star-led casting you know that the stars do matter um in terms of getting a show made um but it's also good old-fashioned prejudice so do you know what I mean you know and uh uh you know where you go there isn't an excuse for it well there isn't an excuse for it whatever the excuses are there isn't an excuse for it but do you know what I mean like you know where there isn't even like a paper excuse for it it's just um, there's a lot of people who've lived very insulated lives working in TV. There's a lot of people from very exclusive lives who haven't seen the real world and who don't deal well with it. I suppose it's that thing, isn't it? We all know that there is a massive change to make. And I think it's great seeing Ruth's journey, as, you know, as you've mentioned. Because what was the programme you worked with Ruth on? Yeah, we cast it. We were the first ones. She was working uh, for WizKids. Um, uh, it was a show called Don't Take My Baby um, uh, that she was nominated for Best Actress at the BAFTAs for. So, um, yeah, and then and then since then, she's just done better and better and better, m- m- most recently, years and years, with Russell. 
Yeah, and I think it's that thing, isn't it, of going, it's that age-old argument of there are no act- disabled actors with those skills, but yet how do disabled actors get those skills if they aren't given those opportunities yeah. to play those characters? Jenny, Jenny and I, um, I won't tell you where because I don't think we're allowed to say, but we, were, uh, we, were, we took part in a panel at, um, uh, for an organisation, Jenny Celia and I, um, where we were uh, talking about whether there's need for quotas, how the whole thing can be kick-started. And, um, and it was very interesting. There was representatives from drama schools there and it, it, it's a real challenge to them to go, you, you know, if, you, if we can get... Um, disabled actors through RADA, through Lambda, through... Do you know what I mean? Like just getting that seal of approval from those places um, would be transformative. And, and, uh, and people are starting to listen to that, um, I think particularly Lambda. Um, uh, but, but, you know, uh, slowly, 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 slowly pushing a badly old cart up a hill, you know. Yeah, and it is a really slow process, isn't it, that, you know, I think about 20-odd years ago when I wanted to apply to drama school and constantly faced with that thing of we're not accessible, Uh, what's the point in spending three years training if there aren't those opportunities for you there as a disabled actor? Um, And sadly, to hear those excuses, because that's what they are, are still being churned out by some of those bigger establishments because they they can change. Um, And I think, you know, Sarah Frankham, or Frankers, as I call her, I think, you know, her at Lambda is is a really positive thing. Uh, Absolutely. For disabled actors, working class actors, you know, I think it's... Everyone. Yeah, for everyone. I think it's going to really shake it up. And hopefully that can have a massive impact on the industry going forward. Um, and you said you didn't want to get into politics, Jack, when you were younger. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, great spokesperson for, for disabled people. What, what, and on that note, what's been your journey um, it, with regards to the world of disability? It's really weird, and I don't know whether... I don't know quite where to categorise myself. I was a disabled person. Um, I think I can safely say that. I, when I was... Um, when I was 20... I had a more or less complete physical breakdown. I became allergic to heat. So I was allergic to radiators, I was allergic to sunlight, and I was allergic to my body movement. So I spent six months bed-bound because every time I moved, I would um, it would create an allergic reaction and I'd end up um, in a lot of pain. And then steadily over the next 15 years, that got better and better and better to the degree that I feel uncomfortable describing myself as a disabled person now, and yet being part of the community still really matters to me. So it's a really weird sort of thing that, you know, that if when it comes to ticking a box on a diversity form, I feel like I shouldn't tick that box on the diversity form because it it doesn't feel right. But in terms of membership, that that, that open day I talked about, it was Alex Bournemouth, um, Alex, uh, who co-wrote Castoffs with me, um, and I love dearly. Um, I was talking to her there, and I said, I don't know whether I should be here. And I talked about what was going on, and I talked about my pain. And she said, Of course, you're a disabled person. And honestly, it was like uh, coming out. It was just this sort of huge sort of feeling of that. That, and I think a lot of pain sufferers have this 
do you know what I mean? Like, you know, the, the, there's an awful lot of isolation in pain. Um, and there's an awful lot of feeling like your struggles are your own and that no one's ever really going to get them. And there's a lot of, frankly, cruel behaviour by doctors. I had, you know, quite a few instances of people really belittling me. And that feeling of being part of that community at that time was just the greatest feeling in the world. It just felt like, oh, right, okay, these are my people. This is where I can fit. This is where I can feel safe. This is where I can talk about what I'm going through in a way that doesn't feel like I'm either, you know, embarrassing myself by inflating it or, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, just that sort of like, you know, I don't know how you describe it, but just that sort of like warmth. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, the, 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 and, and so, yes. So now I'm probably not a disabled person, but I hope I am a disabled person in the same breath. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think it's that thing of you've had an impairment, haven't you? Uh, the, and therefore the way that society has been set up for people that have impairments is that society has disabled you. And whether that's through sort of doctor's attitudes towards that, that feeling of probably wanting to fix you, uh, to normalise you. Um, I think it's all it's all incredibly valid. You've got that lived experience. You know what it's been like to, to kind of face those barriers that a lot of, you know, phys- physical and attitudinal barriers that a lot of disabled people have to face on a daily basis. It's interesting. When, when, I, was, um, when I was doing press for cast-offs, um, I did a radio show and the first question I was asked is, what is a disabled person? And honestly... To this day, that's the hardest question in the world. And that, you know, that we've got these new criteria being announced for various different wards and everything like that. And it's going to be hugely complicated. It's going to be hugely complicated, that notion of definition, because there are going to be people that abuse it. And um, and there are people that desperately need it. And, you know, walking that line, you know, it's it's the most complicated community, I think, in of all the communities it's the most complicated community because defining it is so it's so ephemeral i think i think it is and i think it's very much like uh, uh with regards to invisible impairments uh hidden impairments um it's such a, a weird thing as well of people going i don't know if i belong in it um i think if you're facing any sort of barrier due to an impairment then of course part of the disabled community but like you say will it become something that people uh take the mickey with i i don't know and it's you know it's really funny isn't it because it feels like sometimes it's it's um it's a club that people don't want to be part of until it kind of suits them um and i know i'm probably going to offend a lot of people when i say that but it's absolutely true and you know and for for a lot of us it's a real it's a great sense of a community in a world that we we all share uh we get through with, with that support from each other um and i think that that's 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 the most important thing is that that group of shared voices and you know and let's not forget actually that everybody is pre-disabled aren't they because I think people will become disabled whether that's through illness or old age. I think lockdown has given me time to do a lot more reading um, and, you know, watching Crip Camp on Netflix, which is just uh, amazing to look at that movement in America and, you know, also reading um, Judy Human's book uh, about the, the kind of the, the disability movement and, and about 
you know, saying to non-disabled people their attitudes towards disability, like, oh, well, I don't know anyone who's disabled. Well, then find people. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it's invisible to me. It's invisible because you're not looking for it, because you don't want to look for it. I'm really struggling to make sense of sort of a a non-disabled privilege. And I think people need to be aware that they only have that privilege for a certain amount of time um, because they are going to be part of the gang, dare I say it. And um, and they, they need to do something about it. But but like you say, it's because a lot of this, a lot of the industry and also theatre, dare I say it, we can't let theatre off the hook either, is, one, no, 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 is run by a lot of white, non-disabled, quite privileged males um, who who, you know... Disability is not in their world. And it's it's a real struggle, isn't it, that a lot of those narratives that are written are written by non-disabled people um, rather than actually having a true disabled narrative to them. Um, and that's what we've really got to... I don't want to say fight against because, it you know, I hate this feeling of it being us and them, but it's having to really, like, change the thinking around it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah. like, I mean, this is a whole can of worms before we opened, but why not, eh? Um, <laughs> like, playwrights and... I say playwrights because there's one in particular. Um, but also actors who are becoming disabled, um, not outrightly owning it, I'm finding as well in the industry at the moment. And I wonder why they're afraid to own it. And part of that probably is because they feel they'll get put down, you know, the work they'll be offered will get uh, smaller and smaller. I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm finding that at the moment as well, that there are people who are becoming disabled but are denying it. That's very interesting. So, uh, what is it you love about writing? You said you just fell in love with it. What, what, how, what does it do to you? I don't quite know. Um, uh, it's a, uh, uh, a love that I do not understand fully. Um, uh, it's not unpainful. It's quite often painful. Um, but that process of breaking a script, I find joyful. My, she doesn't do it so much now because we're always busy with the kid, but it used to be that when Rachel and I got together, if I was being, um, if I was just inside my own head and being a bit, I don't know, just a bit of a dick, I guess, uh, Rach would, would say, go and write something. <laughs> and uh, and it would take me out of my own head. And so it's probably that. It's probably being taken out of my own head. It's probably gi- being given the opportunity to be a tourist in other people's heads uh, still feels thrilling to me. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's just, I, I love it. I was going to say that actually one of my uh, what I've written down here is this idea of like uh, your inspiration for writing and do they all live in your head because the amount of stuff that you turn out you must have a lot of people in your head so and also from what you've just said you owe Rachel your career really don't you then but she's gone gone <laughs> gone right but uh, I had a career before I got with Rachel. Okay, so, all right, uh, just to clarify. Yeah, she can, she can, she can. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you know, I owe her, I owe her too much. I don't want to owe her that too. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, the balance sheet is very heavily balanced towards her. So I don't, you know, yeah, uh, uh, um, yeah. No, a, a lot of people do live in my head, but it's, I, it's never like I'm not like one of those. 
you know, I'm not a great poet that just kind of walks around and goes, ah, uh, I I'm feel the need for an ode. AD there, Jack did do the flamboyant with his arms <laughs> when he talked about being a poet. Yeah. And he's now crossing his arms very hard. Um, uh, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't go around and, you know, start uh, with great lyrical thoughts in my head. I, I just sit at the computer and graft, uh, you know, that they don't, I don't, I, I sometimes get thoughts about things in the middle of the night and all those kind of things, but generally it's just that process of creating in front of a computer that I just love the most. Where do your inspirations come from? I have no idea. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff comes to me. Uh, a lot of stuff is given to me and said, would you fancy having a go at this? So um, often it doesn't, you know, it's not something I create. Uh, I'm trying to challenge that at the moment and I'm trying to rethink the way I, I work about things, um, work through things. But um, it's interesting. I'm, I've am i been doing a project with... Uh, I've been doing two projects with Genevieve Barr. We're co-writing together, which is amazing because she's astonishing. And on one project, uh, it just kind of flew out of both of us that we were just constantly churning stuff out. And then on another project there was a moment when there was a sort of, oh, we don't quite know what this is. Um, and there was a moment of sort of going back and looking at it. And because, I'm, because I've been doing this for a very long time, I don't really look at my process. Um, uh, but she did in that moment. And she was like, oh, you've stopped writing stage directions. Oh, you've stopped writing... Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, that you've stopped, you're looking for something and so there's a different sort of churn going on. So um, a lot of it is, uh, you just, it, it's a feeling that you just kind of get of how to tell the story. Um, but that doesn't come in one big, lovely gloop. That comes in lots of little scoops of stuff that then are painfully assembled into a gloop. Yeah, I hear that gloop. Um I think I, I, I really like the idea that you said you don't know what your process is because for me, working at Grey Eye, working with a lot of our, our writers, I know they're struggling to go, what, what is my, what's my process? What's my structure? And I'm really encouraging them to kind of rip up what we know as structure and find out what their own sort of dramaturgy is, if that makes sense. So I think it's really enlightening to hear that you don't know what your process is. You just write. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I probably would love to know, have a better sense of it, so that it isn't so hard each time. But you know, uh, uh, I, I'm good with what, what I'm. I, I, the one good thing about getting older is you do become more um, comfortable with your own uh, inadequacy. Uh, what What would you say? What 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 project are you most proud of? Uh, I think the best thing I wrote for TV is um, National Treasure. Um, I think the best thing I wrote for stage is probably Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Uh, I also like Christmas Carol quite a lot. Um, uh, but, you know, I'm still waiting for the one that's just perfect. So are you quite a collaborative writer in the room when you're working with people? Do you like to be part of that team? Love it. I'm not a novelist. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I don't want to be a novelist. I, I, like, I like being inspired by others. I like being led in new directions by others. You know, I'm just working through... When we started speaking, I'm just working through uh, a, a set of notes on ep three of... Uh, series three of His Dark Materials. And 
you know, and we've been working together for such a long time on that, you know, that there's there's a core group of us that have been there for four or five years, you know, working, you know, and this is this will be the what the uh the eighteenth episode we've done together. Do you know what I mean? The eighteenth hour we've made together and still they're provoking me and still they're challenging me to change the way I write. And I love that. Yeah, I th- uh, yeah, I think collaboration is the key, isn't it, really? Um, having those people around you to push you and to inspire you and to see things in a different way you, you might not have thought about. I mean, I think theatre, you know, it is insanely more collaborative, probably, but maybe not with the writing. That actually, that, that, um, that when you're in a room with actors and you're making it, um, it's really, really um, beautifully exciting but you're always on a clock by that point. And so you're not going back and chucking a spanner in the engine and stuff like that. And, and often during that writing process, there's a respect for the writer that you don't have in TV. You don't have that same sort of like, oh, um, this is beautiful. You know, that, that, that there's a sort of workmanlike quality to um, writing for TV. And, uh, and, and so there isn't quite the sense of we all wrote this, which I think you do get in TV a bit more than you do in theatre. But that might just be me and my process. What's your relationship with Grey Eye? You mentioned that, did that come out through that open day with Alex Bormer? Yes, yes. And uh, and Jenny was in charge. Um, uh, so I've only known Grey Eye under Jenny, though I do know some of the past leaders of Grey Eye um, uh, now. Um and yes, so I did that open day and then I think I think I wrote something else for Grey Eye that didn't happen. And then the first thing we all worked on together was um Hunchback and Notch Darm, which I did with Alex. Um and then the and then uh, Solid Life of Sugarwater, um, which was uh just joyous from start to finish. Um and really challenging in a in a beautiful way yeah and and that is that how you first met Genevieve who you're now writing with no Genevieve was in the fades so uh I knew Genevieve already from that uh only very um vaguely but yes uh yeah but then it was solid life where I just went you're extraordinary and I need to understand how your mind works and then she told me she wanted to write and Matt Fraser contacted me about disability monologues and writing something for disability monologues. And I said, I'd love to write one. I'd love to look after Genevieve writing another. I'd love to see if I can sort of script edit uh, Genevieve a little bit so that Genevieve could get a start in TV and, and Matt back that um, because he's brilliant. And um, and all the good notes were Matt. But, you know, I, I was there with Genevieve through it. And then following on from that, I got asked to write a piece about the Disability Discrimination Act and I said, I'd love to write it, but I'd love to write it with Genevieve. And so it's sort of gone from there. Having looked at knowing who's involved, I think it's a great... It's it's going to be exciting. Exciting watch, definitely. I, I, I hope so. I hope so. I'm really proud of mine. Uh, I don't think I'm even allowed to say who's in mine. But, you know, yeah. Okay. Uh, it, it's, been, it's been great. I don't want to... Matt Fraser's a fierce man. You don't want to. You don't want to get on the wrong side of Matt Fraser. No, you, know? you yeah. don't. You don't. Send you an angry email with lots of exclamation marks. Um, 
Because you've worked with Matt quite a few times, haven't you now? Cast-offs. I think he's been in five things I've written. I think Matt is like my, uh, you know, go-to actor. He's, uh, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, I love Matt. Yeah. And as a writer, yeah. do you have that say on, on, on saying, I've written this for Matt, I want Matt in it? Uh, sometimes and sometimes not. So uh, um, I can push for... Um, Matt for something or I can push for Jen for something or I can push for Ruth for something but I don't really really get final say on it um, I sometimes push very hard um, with and sometimes I say right at the beginning that I'm not doing this unless um, so that that often you know with Christmas Carol for instance when Matthew contacted me about Christmas Carol I said absolutely I want to do it uh, but I only really want to do it if Tiny Tim's disabled because I'm not interested in doing a version of this with non-disabled Tiny Tim's. Um, and he went, cool. And uh, and since then, the old Vic has worked really tirelessly, actually, to back that. And, you know, that each year it's three or four kids that come in and do, but each year it's, you know, just the best bit about the show. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, that these amazing children getting given this chance and then and then killing it you know uh um so um yeah so it depends on the project basically but but i'm always sort of going if there isn't at least one disabled actor in in this then i've failed and there tends to be at least one yeah and that's that's brilliant that you're fighting that corner and i know this is a question that's come up no you are and i know this is a question that's come up from other writers to me and I don't know the exact yes. answer but of just going um when I write something should I say this is a disabled character should I say this is the impairment this character has and therefore I want someone with that impairment to be cast I do um but I always sort of so I'm I've worked on a play recently that's got a lead actress that's disabled and I said at the beginning this is the impairment this lead actress has got but if um, we were to find someone else with a, a, a different impairment I would rewrite it for that person so that you know what I mean like you know I'm not going it has to be this because you want the casting process to be as open as possible um, and you want to get the best actor you can for the role. Um, and so, uh, yeah, sometimes I'm specific. When I'm being really specific, it's because I'm writing for someone I know. Um, uh, when I'm less specific, it's because I know what this character needs and I know that there'll probably be a range of disabilities that fit with that. Um, and it's just a matter of just going, uh, th there has to be, th th there should be a flexibility within that. So it is always best to put it in. I, I think so. But then maybe put a note at the beginning going, this is, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, this is what, this is what's in my head. Um, but there is a flexibility within my head, uh, um, that can accommodate lots of different actors with lots of different, uh, disabilities. With with uh, Solid Life of Sugar Water, we just said it's going to be two disabled actors. And we found two disabled actors and then I rewrote it for Jen. Um that you know, that the, the and actually that was a process we went through, Amit and I, where we initially were like, 
we shouldn't rewrite it. It can just be, you know, that she just happens to be deaf. And then it was like, no, this play is about uh, truth and it's about a battle. And it feels wrong if we're not acknowledging and celebrating and um, delving into her disability as part of it. So then we did um, uh, rewrite it for her. Thank you. There's going to be loads of scripts now with characters and impairments, and I, I love it because I think that, you know, if us as a community can make a change as well, it's, it's our writers that can do that for us as well and, and, and help change the industry. And, and the thing I'd say is, like, no one knows, no one knows the right word for anything in, in the, the non-disabled world, and so they need as much help as they can get it's to their shame they don't know, but at the same time, as easy as we can make it, um, the better. You know, like you know, it, the the you know, it should be that thing of just a a, a velvet revolution. You know. Yeah, definitely. We make the change, make the change we want to see. Is that right? Is that what they say? Yes. Be the change, be the change you want to be in the world. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You talked briefly about this project you're writing with Genevieve about Disability Discrimination Act. Is that like a UK version of Crip Camp? Are we going to be excited by it? Sell it to me, Jack. It it's about Dan. Um, it's I I mean I love Crip Camp. Uh, Crip Camp is very American. I think um, the British way of doing things is a bit more punky. I mean Dan was very very punky. Um, uh, so it's um, about Barbara and Alan and about that whole um, incredible 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 community of people and the battles they fought and the way they fought it so uh you know crip camp was a lot of very determined very sincere individuals um uh we want we want this to be called i don't know whether we're going to get away with it but we want this to be called piss on pity which was the central uh uh you know um the, one of their central campaign slogans uh in crip camp no one would wear a t-shirt with chris piss on pity on it but these guys were punks and they did you know so have you been researching the researching dan and the movement yeah 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 which has been amazing because they're incredible they're an incredible bunch of people so are you fully um politicized am i fully politicized do you feel like you want to go out there and piss on pity now <laughs> would you wear the t-shirt have i got have i well i would definitely wear the t-shirt uh though i've worried that it would be misconstrued on me um uh I don't know whether I would uh, have the balls to um, handcuff myself to a bus. Um, uh, you know, uh, the most radical... Uh, I've, I've attended a lot of marches and I've done a lot of those kind of things. The most radical I've ever been is when um, uh, um, we tried to um, close all the... Um, uh, Vodafone shops and all oh, yeah, the, you know, the, yeah. the, that, that, you know, that, that movement, um, about tax, uh, and, uh, tax dodgers. Um, so that's the most radical I've ever been. And I was a bit scared that I was going to get arrested the entire time. And I don't quite have the same sort of, um, I'm just not, I'm just not, uh, brave enough. I don't think, uh, but I don't think, I don't think there's many that are as brave as that Dan lot. They were just, crazy nuts they, they were they were brilliant and you know I always remember that I am sitting on the shoulders of those giants 
Um, yeah, absolutely. And you know what they did with regards to access towards public transport is it's it's been amazing and getting into buildings and yeah. It was so interesting because during the when when we were announced that we were doing this, um, that they announced it with the title Independence Day. And we'd insisted on a question mark after Independence Day. Um, but I had so many old trots coming at me and going, uh, uh, you know, um, you aren't saying the Disability Discrimination Act was a good thing, are you? Because if you are, we are not on board with that. You know, this is not what Dan was about. And we are still very, very angry about it. And I was like, that's why there's a question mark. Please notice the question mark. Please notice the question mark. I think they'll be a lot more comfortable. If we get away with piss on pity, I think they'll be a lot more comfortable with that title than with Independence Day. Yeah, no, definitely. And then when will that go out? What are the plans for that? When will it? We haven't filmed yet. We got stopped by COVID. So, um, uh, you know, yeah, we're working towards it. And is that going out on TV? Yes, the BBC. Oh, that BBC? One, two? Two. Nice. Well, keep us posted on that, won't you? And let us know. Of course. Yeah, yeah. We'd love to. And hopefully yeah. it can still be piss on pity because that would just be, yeah. Absolutely. That'd yeah, be mega. I completely agree. It's just, it's the right title for it. It know? is. But, but let's see, you know. What happens between now and then. Uh, okay, uh, just two more questions because I'm wary of time because we've been chatting for a while. Um, what, what is, have you got any advice for, for, for writers, particularly disabled writers, who I know many have been part of a, of a writer's room, uh, have maybe felt more like a tick box than they have actually been able to put their material across. Any advice you could give any uh, deaf or disabled writers that are wanting to uh, forge their career in the industry? And that could be theatre, screen, whatever. The first advice is I'm sorry there are still doors to kick down. Um, I'm sorry that you're... I'm sorry that you're still required to kick those doors down. I'm sorry that you do feel like a tick box exercise sometimes. And I also don't doubt you are a tick box exercise sometimes, and that's awful. Uh, but stay hungry, keep pushing, uh, keep writing. Uh, you know, the world is hungry. The world is hungry for disabled stories, finally. I do feel that, that, that there, are, there are more and more being commissioned um, by TV. Um, a lot more than there was 10 years ago. And there's a lot, the, the attitudes are changing, you know, that, that, you know, in the last, in the last couple of years, we've had Fleabag, followed by I May Destroy You, um, that it does seem like the next, the next big storytelling explosion should be disabled storytelling, you know, that someone should come and do and I May Destroy You for disabled, disabled stories. I've got a feeling that's getting closer and closer, but uh, I'm sorry, it, yeah, is going to be a struggle. Uh, and I'm sorry that people are going to say stupid things to you, um, because they are, um, and you're, be you're better than them, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I, I think, like, talking about I May Destroy You, Michaela Cole's Metagot Lecture at Edinburgh it was about two a year two years ago that what she was saying I'm like the parallels between that and um disabled writers I think is it's it's really key actually and about for about for her like not having that knowledge of the language 
of TV but yet being told her story had to be X, Y and Z whereas she wanted it to be F, H, I, J, you know, all mixed up but still it was like certain people telling her this is what the narrative is. Uh, yeah, I mean, personally, I think I May Destroy You is one of the best bits of literature of the last 10 years in TV, film, theatre, everything. It's just extraordinary bit of storytelling and um, and it did it did feel like she put herself on screen and not not herself but you know what I mean like you know her her notion of storytelling on screen and her, and redefined television a little bit in the process and I, I that is that is going to that you know when when someone does a disabled version of that then we'll be then we'll be good yeah you know? so no pressure to those disabled writers out there but you know come on clock's ticking clock's ticking uh, okay so, what have you not adapted that you'd love to do? Nothing. I'm really, I'm, I really want to do my own stuff now. I've done a lot of adaptation and uh, I'm sure that I'll get pulled into other stuff again. But I, I, I um, you know, yeah, I, I, I like doing my own stuff. Cool. Brilliant. Thank you, Jack. Thank you for taking the Thank time you. to chat to me on Thank Zoom. You. It's been great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Really lovely talking to you. And uh, yeah, see you soon. Visit greyeye.org and disabilityarts.online for details of productions, events, interviews, opinions, reviews and learning opportunities.